Well, good morning and happy new year, church family. Somebody in the house, you need to say amen. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Man, it's good to see y'all. Feel like it's been a whole year, right? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. And we do serve a resurrected king. And what a joy that is to know that he is resurrecting us even as, as he was resurrected. And on that day, hallelujah, on that day he's going to raise us up. And we're going to see him face to face. <laughs> I can't wait. I say come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know, it's a, it's a new year. A lot of things going on. And I wanted to start a new sermon series. And uh, really, it, it's, it's dealing with the, the subject of being ready. And being ready to do His will. Being ready to do whatever God asks us to do. You know, being ready to give a witness when someone approaches us and asks us questions. Being ready to, to give. Being ready to battle. Oh, brothers and sisters, we are in a spiritual battle. We need to be ready for that. We also need to be ready to work. To roll up our sleeves and get after it. You know, by way of uh, just developing and, and helping one another grow and, and to receive encouragement and fellowship together, um, we talked earlier just a little bit about our small groups, uh, our connect groups, and uh, we're getting ready in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be starting those up. Some of those groups will be meeting uh, this week and next week, but they officially begin in a couple of weeks, and so you're in on the ground floor if you're not involved in a small group, you ought to be. You ought to be. And, and um, I, I hope that you will take that seriously. There's some sign-ups out in the, the Great Hall. And uh, if you will go and, and, and look and see, uh, you can choose which group you'd like to go to. And, um, you know, if you've been a part of a, a Connect group in the past... Um, if you want to mix it up and change groups and meet some new people and get out there and, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, expand your horizons, then do that. Now's a good time to do that. And uh, we encourage that. So uh, if you enjoy the group that you're at and you want to stay there, certainly I'm not going to, to uh, ding you over that. But it, I, I would like everybody to be involved in a small group. Because this is where we intimately get to know one another and to, to rub life on life. It's hard to rub life on life with 200 other people on a Sunday morning. But you know, when you get together with 8 or 10, and you're able to share what God's doing in your life, and you hear what they're doing, what God's doing in their life, I mean, what a blessing that is. So uh, I encourage you to, to be a part of those. You know, this morning, if you have your Bible and would open up with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read a verse out of there in a little bit. Um, but I want to I begin this message with a disclaimer. And it's, it's borrowed from Stephen Cole. And he said, namely, that I am not qualified to preach this message. But before you point a finger at me and say, ha, then why are you preaching it? Okay? I also want to point out that you're not qualified to hear it. 
Now, wait a minute, preacher. What I'm saying is this. I am an American pastor in the state of Texas with a reasonably comfortable life preaching God's word. I've never been threatened with imprisonment and I've never been tortured for my faith. I've never had my property confiscated. I've never had my family torn apart from me for the sake of the gospel. Nor have any of you. We've not suffered that much in our faith in Jesus Christ. See, if I were a pastor from, let's say, China, who had served years in a harsh prison for preaching the gospel, and you were a church in China who your very presence here this morning would cause persecution, causing you maybe to lose your property or even to be thrown into prison, then we could preach this passage and we could listen to this passage very well. Because then we would know. But you know, even though we've not paid that kind of price for our faith, we've all faced the fear of what it looks like to witness to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And I don't know, maybe it's the flesh, maybe it's the fear of conflict, but we've all known that churning in our stomach or those sweaty palms when it was time for us to speak to someone about our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when the Holy Spirit nudges us and says, go talk to this person, then we say, Uh Uh-oh, I'm not comfortable with this, Lord. But you know what? God has been showing me recently in my personal daily devotional times. And he's urged me to, to be ready to do whatever it is he asks me to do. To, to follow him in obedience. And, and really, as God has spoken to my heart through these verses, uh, he began to impress upon me to, to preach on the subject of being ready so that all of us can be ready to do God's will. As we discover what his will is, that we would be, as a church, prepared to do God's will in the days ahead. Folks, it's not going to get any easier. It's only going to get harder from here on out. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. I mean, I don't know how many times someone has said to me, you know, I had the perfect opportunity to to witness for Christ today. (laughs) But I somehow, it took me by surprise And I missed the opportunity. I didn't say anything. You know, success in this world often depends on taking advantage of the opportunities when they come your way. And I would say likewise, one of the keys to fruitful witnessing is to be ready when God 
opens the door. When you see someone standing before you and God opens the door of their heart, that's the time to give the witness. That's the time to step up and tell them what God has done for you. Many times the doors are closed. And so when we see an open door, we need to take advantage of that opportunity to share what Christ has done. You know, one of my, one of my favorite verses on witnessing is 1 Peter 3.15. And I want to read that and then I want to voice a prayer. Let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes this, he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Let's pray. Loving Father, I ask that in this moment that you would cover us with your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Father, that you would drag to light those areas in our, in our lives that are not pleasing to you. Father, that you would drag to the light those areas where we've been disobedient. Father, those areas where we've given over territory to the enemy. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us close to you. Holy Spirit... Cleanse us. Prepare us for the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, our readiness to witness, I would submit to you this morning that it, it requires a passion of relationship. What I mean by that is our readiness to witness most of the time comes out of our love relationship with God. See, if we're not in love with Him, we're not going to tell anybody about Him. If we're not talking about Him, maybe there's a problem in that love relationship. Maybe there's something there that we need to look at. See, I've discovered that my effectiveness and my faithfulness in sharing Christ can be measured by the heat of my devotion to the Lord. When I'm not walking with Him, when I'm doing things my way, when I'm sucked into the world and I'm not, I'm not following Christ like I should, that love relationship is not there, I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. But you see, when the heat, the passion of that relationship is burning hot, oh yes, now we got something to talk about. Now we got something we want to do. You know, Peter says here, he says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify Him. To sanctify the Lord in your heart means that you make Him the holiest thing in your life. Wow. Yeah. It means you put him above everything. It means you put him above your own success. 
You you put Him above pleasure. You put Him above acceptance. You put Him above comfort. Anything that you treasure or desire, you put Him first. That's what it means to sanctify. To set apart. To give Him first place. To give Him your best. To give Him all of you. It means to make him, Jesus Christ, the love of your life. I know that may sound strange, but think about this. Think about a young couple that is falling in love. Aww. You know, they're crazy for each other. They sit and they stare at each other for hours. You know, and when the other one opens their mouth, they, they, they just listen so intently to what they're saying. You know, you've seen it, I've seen it. They're in love. They're, they're, they're all in. They're, they're so enraptured in that. And they, they constantly, you know, want to talk to each other and they listen and they, they're, they're all there. See, a person who is in love will never tire of telling the virtue of their chosen mate. But you see, if we're not willing to talk about the one whom we love, then we got a problem. We got a problem. See, to sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart is to be in love with Him. To be so enraptured with Him that you long to be with Him. That you listen when He speaks to you. That you gaze into His eyes and you you stare at Him wanting Him to be your focus because you are in love with Him. You see, that's not where we're at most of the time. And it goes back to what Peter is saying. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Because when you do that, you will delight in telling people about Jesus. Because you're in love with Him. See, in this passage, hagiazo, the Greek word for sanctify. Hagiazo is in what they call the aorist imperative. And really what it means is do it now. Do it now. Do it effectively. There, it, it comes with it, the, 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 the aorist imperative comes with it a sense, a, a, a sense of urgency. So he's saying sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. But he's saying do that now. Don't wait. Get with it. Because you see, worship and adore, as we worship and adore Jesus, so that all fear of other people will go away. It'll be taken away. When you love Jesus, when you worship Him, when you adore Him, you really don't care what somebody else thinks about your relationship with the Lord. I'm crazy about my wife, Tracy. And most of you know that. But I really don't care what other people think about my relationship to my wife. Because I know that I love her and that she loves me. And that's what's important. 
And the fact of the matter is it shouldn't matter what other people think about your relationship with Jesus if you are in love with him and he's in love with you. I mean, in contrast to fearing people, we need to revere the Lord. I mean, Psalm 118 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. I mean, what can man do to me? Was he going to make fun of me? Is he going to laugh at me? Is he going to hurt me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. You know, looking at Peter, who wrote this, Peter, a much older, a much wiser, filled with wisdom Peter, okay? He's saying, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This was the same guy that feared the little servant girl in the courtyard outside the high priest's place. Her first statement, you know, oh, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, and he denied the Lord that he ever even knew him. Peter is the one writing this, and he's saying, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Do that now. Be done with that. Make that decision. Put Christ where he needs to be. So how do we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts? I mean, we... Being daily motivated by the Spirit and by love, we surrender our will to His. We take out the white flag, we wave the white flag, and we surrender and we say, Lord Jesus, it's not about me any longer. It's about you. See, that's easier said than done. But when we sanctify Him as Lord in our hearts. <laughs> we voluntarily and with joy turn everything over to Him and live for Him, to please Him and to glorify Him. See, it means we fear displeasing Him more than we fear what someone else might say or do to us. And one evidence that Christ is Lord in our hearts is the readiness to tell others about him. You know, Chuck Colson, he commented that in the early church, if a, if a person stood up in a public arena and cried out, Jesus is God, no one would be offended because the Romans and the Greeks, they worshipped many gods. To call Jesus God would not have been revolutionary or even risky. But if a Christian stood up and they shouted, Jesus is Lord and there is no other, he would be putting his own life at risk. And the reason is, is because the Roman Caesars claimed the title of Lord. And this would be reason, the reason why Christians face persecution. Because they were willing to obey the Roman laws, but they were not willing to call Caesar Lord. See, the same struggle over ultimate lordship explains the persecution of Christians who endure the, the, the persecution in various countries. I mean, in a totalitarian state, worshiping Christ as Lord 
can easily be seen as an act of treason. Think about it. Oh, you're going to call him Lord and Master, but you're not going to call us Lord and Master. See, the real issue is the lordship of fear versus the lordship of Christ. So are we going to put fear above Christ as Lord? See, those who make Christ Lord need not fear what earthly leaders or rulers can do to them. See, to be an effective witness, we must also be ready to, with an answer of reason. Look at the second half of that verse. It says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. See, the word translated here as answer is not a word that uh, is just a simple reply. The word Peter chose to use was a technical term for a lawyer's reasoned defense. Something he sat down and thought about, put some time and effort into. See, this is a place where we get the, the field of apologetics to give a reasoned defense. And we sometimes think about the PhDs who can, who can argue atheism and, 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 and unbelievers into silence. Or those who can explain arguments for the existence of God uh, you know, in, in, in three different responses to uh, the theory of evolution. And, and they can actually argue for where Cain got his wife. And we kind of look at those people and, 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 and I appreciate the men and women who have given their life work to that. But I want you to know something, brothers and sisters, that does not let us off the hook. You can't say, somebody else knows all about that and you need to go talk to them. The command is for us to be ready to give a, a, a reasonable defense, a reasoned defense of the gospel. See, every believer is called to have an answer, to give, an, to give a defense of the gospel. Chuck Swindoll said this, he said, Apologetics 101 begins not with having the right answers to skeptics' challenges, but with having the right lifestyle to raise the right questions. It's a matter of how we're living, not what they're doing. <laughs> See, Peter says a reasoned defense here. I mean, you think about a defense attorney painstakingly, goes through every detail of, of what has happened to his client. And, and he sometimes works late into the night working towards that final preparation when he goes before the court and is going to give the, 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 the defense side of things. And he runs every word, every expression is carefully measured. And he, he goes through the entire thing over and over until his mind is just... Is just so saturated with it because he, he has as his best interest the fate of his client. Someone's outcome is on the line. And then when he approaches the bar in the courtroom there, it becomes silent. The courtroom becomes silent and his words come freely and dramatically impressing upon his hearers. And he is eloquent because he is prepared. 
You know, sometimes suffering done with the right attitude will often create a witnessing opportunity for Christ. When we suffer, that may bring about an opportunity to witness for Christ. If we have a right attitude about it, R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, he tells about a leading golf professional many years ago who was invited to play golf with, with a foursome, and that foursome included Jack Nicholas and, and uh, uh, then-president uh, Gerald Ford and also Billy Graham. And he went and he, he was, was invited to go play, and he was looking forward to, to playing with the president and Billy Graham. And after the round was finished, one of the other professionals came up to him and asked him. He said, hey, what was it like playing golf with the President of the United States and and also with Billy Graham? And the professional, he he unleashed a torrent of cursing. And he, 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 in a very disgusting manner, and he said, I don't need Billy Graham pushing religion down my throat. He was very upset. He turned, he stormed off, and he went to the driving range. And his friend followed him over there and kind of sat on the bench as he teed up ball after ball and just angrily smashed him out into the driving range. His buddy didn't say anything. He just sat there and watched. Eventually, he cooled down a little bit. And his friend asked him, he said, was Billy Graham really that rough on you today? He heaved an embarrassed sigh and he said, no, he didn't even mention religion. I just had a bad round of golf. You know, on that occasion, Billy Graham didn't suffer on the account of righteousness, although he may have if the angry golfer hadn't have told the truth. But sometimes when we suffer it opens up an opportunity to share. But listen, God does not require you to be a great orator to share the gospel. He's told you to have an answer for the hope that you have inside of you. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to be able to share the gospel with someone. What you need to do is you need to practice and you need to prepare. You need to practice and you need to prepare. You see, every time Joel Shoemate asks me if I will help out with the Good News Club, I tell him yes. Because it's a great opportunity for me to share the gospel with children, first grade through fifth grade. And to practice sharing the gospel with a child. See, the problem is, if we had more people who were willing to volunteer, we could have a good news club in every school. We need more Christians preparing and practicing their testimony and their witness. See, I know some of you are probably thinking to yourself right now, well, 
Brother Ridge, evangelism's really not my spiritual gift. I never said it was. You may think you don't have the courage to witness to someone. And brothers and sisters, that is called fear. I know that fear. All of us have, have dealt with that fear at one time or another. I mean, when I was a kid, I can remember having that kind of fear. <laughs> As a teacher would call on you to share an answer in class. You know, or if I had to stand up in front of the class. Very real fear. Don't want to be in front of people. It was especially bad if the teacher was asking questions which came from the homework. And maybe I didn't do it well. And I was afraid she would call on me. And I'm surprised she didn't as she walked by. She probably heard my heart thumping so loudly. You know, I'd try to shrink down the desk so she couldn't see me. Try not to make eye contact. But we all do that out of fear. But there were other times when I completed my homework. And I did it well. And I wasn't afraid if she called on me. You see, even for the shyest person... Preparation can take the edge out of fear. So if we're immobilized by fear, maybe we need to prepare. Maybe we need to get on the other end of that. See, I would say the same is true of witnessing. The more you prepare, the less you will fear to share your faith. I also want to just say that the finest reason a person can give for a spiritual hope is a spiritual experience. See, our faith is meant to be a first-hand discovery, not a second-hand story. It needs to go from you to them, through you to them. See, when we experience faith that way, then we have something to share. You can tell other people what your experience is. You can tell other people the hope that you have because you've experienced it. I can't tell them what hope you have. You can tell them what hope you have. You see, biblical hope is not just us crossing our fingers you know, just, just saying, well, I hope things work out. I, I wish that things work out. No, biblical hope is alive and certain because Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. Because he was resurrected to new life. And when we talk about this, when we know that Jesus is resurrected, that means that life without Christ is a hopeless end. But life in Christ is an endless hope. What a joy that is to know that we have Jesus. And hope, once again, is the emphasis here. He says, anyone who asks of you, give an account for the hope that is in you. In order for you to share that, you have to possess it. 
And in order for you to possess hope from in Christ, means that he has to possess you. See, Peter's outlook was totally on the future. And Christianity was to him a, a prominent, important, and celebrated hope because Christ alone, Christ alone is our source of this hope. He alone provides a solid base for hope in the middle of our suffering. Oh, you can't buy that. You can't get that. The only place you can find that is with Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe that with all of my heart, I wouldn't be standing up here telling you what my hope and where it comes from. But the reason I do is because I believe it with all my heart. That Jesus Christ is the hope for me, for my family, for our nation, for all of us. And lastly, I would say this, readiness, readiness to witness includes an attitude of respect. I mean, we're to give our witness with, it says, with gentleness and reverence. I mean, the gospel is never supposed to be presented with harshness or offensiveness. Now, we're to be on the offensive but we're not to be offensive. It says with gentleness and reverence. And sometimes preachers are especially vulnerable to this fault. <laughs> you know, the late Charles Allen. He said, a man once said to him, he said, I didn't like our last preacher. He told us we all deserve to go to hell. Charles Allen looked at him and he said, well... Um, haven't I uh, told you the same thing? And he said, yes, but you said it like you really didn't want us to go there. <laughs> the gospel is not supposed to be offensive. Yes, it is offensive to the enemy. It is offensive to the evil one. But we don't have to be offensive to share the gospel with people. You see, part of our problem is we confuse boldness with harshness. Boldness comes from being intent on telling the truth because we believe it. Boldness is the willingness to say what people need to hear even though it may be painful. That's boldness. See, harshness, on the other hand, has very little to do with conviction or concern. It rises from fear and dislike. See, we may fear someone because he is a sinner. Or maybe we fear him because they're a Democrat. Or, okay, in all fairness, a Republican. Or maybe because they are a person that is rich or, or, or powerful. Or maybe they're poor and we fear them for whatever reason. But fear will dangerously affect our attitude of respect towards somebody we are trying to witness to. See, respect for people's needs and, yes, their rights. Because even in the gospel, even the right to reject 
the Lord Jesus is part of the gospel. The right to reject Jesus if they choose to. See, genuine respect for others cannot be learned from a book. And and respect is an attitude from the heart that requires a prepared, something be prepared beforehand. I would say respect must be cultivated in our lives before we are truly ready to witness to others. What if they tell you no? What if they say, I don't want to hear about it? What if they say you're wrong? Are you going to treat them with respect even though they don't embrace what you are sharing with them? The truth that you are giving them? See, in his book, Everyday Evangelism, Tom Eisenman, he illustrates how we can all be an effective witness. If we will combine our good deeds with a verbal witness... Not only what we are doing, but what we are saying under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They all go together. You're not going to witness effectively if the Holy Spirit of God is not drawing that person. You're not going to witness effectively if you never say anything. And you're not going to witness effectively if your deeds are speaking louder than your words. But the idea here is all of those go together. He talks about a boy named David, a ninth grader, who was in their youth ministry. And he was big for his age and he was really tough. But he had a heart for Jesus. Well, in school he was making a coffee table for his mom. And he was going to give it to her at Christmas time as a gift. And he finished it a few days before Christmas, before the break started. And he wanted to leave it at school so that he didn't have to hide it at, the ha- at, at home. And so he left it at school until the very last day before Christmas break. And he showed up to get his table. And what he found out was somebody had stolen the table. The gift for his mom, somebody had stolen it. Well, David had a lot of friends. And it didn't take him long to find out who took his table. It was a boy that was a little bit younger, unpopular, and kind of frail. I mean, David could just just beat him to, to a pulp if he wanted to. But instead, David spent his entire Christmas break in the shop at school making A duplicate table. When he had it finished, he went over to the other boy's home. And when the table snatcher opened the door, he was petrified when he saw David standing there. And David just said, I have something I'd like to give to you and your family for Christmas. And he gave the new table to him. Well, the young man broke down and he began to cry. He went back into the house and he he got David's first table and he, he brought it back to him. And the boys talked. And the table thief asked for forgiveness. 
And David granted it. And within a few weeks, the boy was attending the youth ministry at the church. And eventually he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. See, our deeds, along with a verbal witness, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, can be an effective witness. So I ask a few questions. Is respect, is respect a characteristic of your testimony for Christ? It's easy for us to get bitter, to have a bitter spirit about things. Have you prepared an answer for the moment of the God-given opportunity to witness? You know, when, when God moves and he lets you know this is the opportunity, share your faith. Are you, are, are you prepared for that? Is the heat of your relationship warm enough that the love of Jesus makes you want to talk about him and to love him? See, the first step of obedience to the Lord's command to witness is to prepare our heart, our mind, and our attitude so that we see those opportunities and are able to take them. See, the Lord has commanded us to be ready to witness for him. You will be my witnesses. Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready to give a witness? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for how you challenge us through your word. And Father, I know that for many of us, We've missed many opportunities throughout our life. Where we should have said something, we ought to have said something, we could have said something, but we didn't. Lord, I ask that in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would bring about a spirit of willingness in each of our hearts. Father, that we would be willing to be willing. Father, that we would be willing to be prepared. Father, that we would be willing to, to begin that process. That we would be willing to have you look at our attitudes and our mind and our, our heart. Father, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, I know from our church records... That we saw 11 people come to faith in Jesus Christ by a profession of faith last year. Father, my prayer is that it would be 10 times that many. Father, if we are doing your will, it will be. Father, I ask that you would help us to have those willing hearts. To mold and to shape us according to your will. 
That, Father, we would walk in obedience. And in that obedience, we would find tremendous joy. God, that we would be done with all of the things of this world. But, God, that we would give you praise and glory and honor. Father, I pray that our relationship would would have passion in it. Father, that we would be hot. Father, that it would be, we would be heated up with that passion for you. God, we, we ask that you would stir our hearts. Father, that you would fan those cold embers into flames. And God, that we would see your will done here even as it is in heaven. God, thank you for this time and guide us as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've heard God's word and you know, I don't know where you're at this morning. Obviously, you're in the church, but I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your attitude, where your mind's at. But you do, and the Holy Spirit of God does. He knows all things. He's omniscient. The question is, are we willing to come clean with him? Not with Ridge. I'm here to pray with you. Others will be here to pray with you. But I got enough stuff in my own heart. That when I take care of this, none of this will be a problem. But you know, this is an opportunity for us, with the Lord, just to confess to Him. Just to allow Him to voice that willingness. Say, yes, Lord, yes. And in doing that, we sanctify Him as the Lord in our hearts. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking something to your heart. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's an issue. Maybe it's causing bitterness. Maybe there's things that you just need to turn over to Him and say, Lord, take this. I can't carry this. Whatever it is, my my hope and my prayer is that you would give that to Him this morning. You know, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior... All I can do is say surrender. Surrender to Him. If He's leading you to be a part of this fellowship, all I can do is say surrender to Him. If you're thinking there's things going on that you need to to commit to, surrender it to Him. Because I know this. Everything that I've given Him, He has taken it. He has redeemed it. He has broken it, he's blessed it, and he's used it in my life for such a time as this. If we are willing to do that, he will do his part. Maybe he's just waiting on us.